She's scolding you for turning in your homework in late. How many of you guys had that teacher, unless all you guys were good in here and uh, didn't turn in work late? Anybody had a teacher like that who made you feel bad? Maybe it wasn't a teacher. We love teachers here. My wife used to be a teacher. Maybe it was a tough parent, a tough coach, a tough musical instructor. Do you remember that feeling of shame when he or she singled you out? Do you remember that feeling of ridicule? See, a lot of us, when we think about God, that's what we think. An authoritarian, mean guy. We often think of God simply as a bully. But I've been told as a parent, I've been advised that if I need to speak a hard word to my children, I need to stoop down to their level. I need to look them eye to eye, maybe put a hand on the shoulder and let them know not only that I hear you, but I see you. If I'm honest, uh, if anyone has been working in this building with me over the past couple of weeks, you know that I have not really taken that advice really well. But there is something to that. As my kids were running around and getting all in my way, but today I had that moment. I had a tough time with my, with my children. I was, I was working on something. I had deadlines to get done. And my son came to me and he grabbed my arm and I was like, Elijah. But then I remembered. I crouched down to his face. I grabbed him by his shoulders, looked him in the eye and said, I'm sorry, son. I hear you, I see you, give me a moment. There's something to that. Tonight we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ's birth, this miraculous story of humility, grace, and power. But why? Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? Why, if he is who he says he is, why was he born? Why did he step out of his perfect home in heaven and step into this broken world? I want to challenge you with this because every step that Jesus took was a step to blaze a trail for us back to God. So let's begin looking at these steps. Step number one, the first step that Jesus took was a step out of heaven. Philippians 2 verse 6 puts it like this. It says, though he, meaning Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, this word form was in the form of God as more than being like something. It, it, it's a word that actually means true and exact imprint of the nature of something. In other words, before Jesus came to earth, he existed in heaven and had the exact characteristics of God. Later in the Bible, the Bible is made up of 66 books, right? There's this book called Hebrews. It tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. But the, the writer who wrote this doesn't just leave it there. He goes on to tell us, he's saying that Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. And then it goes deeper 
in John. Now, John, the guy who wrote this, he knew, he knew Jesus much more intimately than many of us would know our own family members. He calls us to look at Jesus from another angle. God himself. He writes, in the beginning was the word in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God. And then he blows our mind. He was in the beginning with God. He doesn't stop there. He tells us all things that were made were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now think about it like this. This almighty, transcendent, magnificent son of the living God. Totally equal. Totally eternal. He didn't think twice. He didn't think equality with God a thing to be grasped. He stepped out of heaven, humbly took off his robe of glory, and entered the womb of his creation so that he can look her face to face on that night in Bethlehem. So the second step was a step onto earth into our shoes. Read with me verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2. It says that he emptied himself, talking about Jesus, by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. All right, we're going to talk about a couple theological words here that we use to talk about this. The first one is we call Jesus' birth the incarnation, meaning God entering this natural world and becoming a human being. The last part of this word, carnation or carnate, is the same word that we get Carnivore, meaning meat or flesh. See, when Jesus was incarnated, we are essentially saying Jesus became meat. In other words, Jesus became flesh. See, for Jesus to become human or meat did not mean he compromised his God nature. He still remained God. See, he goes the next theological term here. Jesus has what's called the hypostatic union. This means Jesus was still perfectly divine while he was still perfectly human. One of these writers who's much smarter than me, a commentator who's been studying this a long time, he says this, by saying Jesus took the form of a servant means he had all the privileges that were rightly him as king of the universe. Yet he gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby. Going back to Hebrews, the writer tells us this, that Jesus had to be one of us so he could serve God as our merciful and faithful high priest. And only through then could he sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins. He goes on to say in Hebrews 4.15, it says, Jesus understands our every weakness. Because he was tempted in every way the way we are. But Jesus didn't sin at all. See, the birth of Jesus is more than the fact that God came to be with us. It's a testimony to the fact that Jesus and his Father God are explicitly, incredibly, undeniably for us. 
The third step that Jesus took was the step on sin and death. Verse 8 of Philippians says this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. See, Christ coming to this earth was a mission for sinners like you and I. Let's be honest. How many in here can say that they've never sinned in their life? All of us have fallen short of God's perfection. In fact, Romans 3.12 says this, All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Why do we celebrate Jesus' birth? The celebration of Jesus' birth is a celebration of gratitude. We're giving thanks. See, Christ's ultimate goal was to give up his life as a sacrifice, as a payment for our sin debt that we've acquired from the time we're born to the time we get to our death. See, rather than stick his finger to us in judgment, Christ came to earth with a hand on our shoulder and he looked us eye to eye and said, I will be born so that I will live to die for you so that you can live and never have to be afraid of death. See, frankly, we don't like to talk about that talking about sin and wanting to hear about our hopeless state without Jesus. We want to think about the joy and the gift-giving of the season. But Romans, 3, Romans 6 tells us this. Paul, who wrote this, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the reality is this. On Christmas the real gift isn't the one that sits at the bottom of the tree. The real gift is the one that was lifted high and nailed to a tree. So the fourth and final step that we'll consider that Jesus took was a step to a place of exaltation, meaning that he's been elevated. He's been elevated to a place that none of us can ever reach on our own. Verse 9 through 11 of Philippians says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, while Jesus deserved glory and worship and honor simply because of his awesome nature. Now, when I say awesome, I don't mean awesome the way we throw it around. I mean, awesome, make your heart stop, take your breath away, indescribable glory. We find out that he's been given a new name above every name. A name that's so big that the writer Paul doesn't even write this name down. And I don't even want to try to explain what theologians are trying to come up with this name to be. The simple thing is we know him as Jesus. Jesus is not only the creator, but he's our Messiah, the coming Savior, who was and is to come. He is the master of all. The Bible tells us that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, we've heard a lot about what others have said about Jesus. How about we listen to what he says? This 
is from the last book in the Bible called Revelation. This is what Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him. And he with me, the one who conquers, you mean the one that rises above all of the stresses, all of the struggles, all of the temptations of this world. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So because of his humility and obedience, Christ has exalted. Christ has been exalted and he invites us to symbolically enter the throne room of God and sit in his seat with him. See, when we accept Jesus as ruler and king over our lives, we get to sit with him because every step Jesus took was to blaze a trail for us back to the right hand of God. See, he humbled himself and stepped out of heaven. Then he stepped onto earth into our shoes so that he could look us eye to eye. He stepped on sin and death so that we would be reunited with him and the Father. And then he stepped to a place of exaltation so that he can draw us close to him and sit near with him. And I love what Paul puts in this next statement. 2 Corinthians 9.15. This is all he can say because of this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now let me ask you, what will your next step be? See, as we read these verses and we learn about the steps that Christ took, we're begged to make a step ourselves. There's two significant steps we can make. The first step that we can make, you know what, I'm actually going to start with the second step. The second step that we can make out of all of this is a step towards somebody who needs the same grace. It's someone who has wronged you, somebody who you're holding something against. If God, who is worthy of all glory and worship, can humble himself for you and me, where can we humble ourselves for the sake of others? Who can we reconcile with and give the gift of this undeserved grace? But the first step, if you've never made this step before, the first step is towards Jesus. See, if God would, in the ultimate act of humility, not only reach his hand down, but enter into our world in order to save you and I, came to save us from the penalty of sin and death, shouldn't our response be to humble ourselves and consciously accept this awesome, undeserved gift? See, you can do this right now by acknowledging the fact that you're not perfect. In fact, you would be in good company. Over here at Relevant Church, we say no perfect people alive. You can say that you are not perfect, and you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. The perfect creator. The perfect baby. The perfect man. The perfect exalted king of heaven and earth. And claim him as your one and only Savior. 
Let's pray. Thank you, God, for loving the world so much that you would send your son. You, could, you would expend the resources of heaven to send your one and only son to come into a broken world and live amongst a broken people so that he can die a broken death on a crooked, broken tree so that he can mend us back together again. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in here who maybe has never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, if there's somebody in here who says, I've heard about Jesus, but I want this undescribable, incomprehensible gift of being able to not be afraid of death but live eternally with him as my Lord and my Savior. God, I pray that you would grant that person the strength and the wisdom to accept this gift tonight. We ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.